Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, our God, we love you. Thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. And Lord, I ask that you would give us grace and mercy today. Uh, I just ask that those who are listening to the program, especially those that are uh, laboring with uh, with COVID, laboring with the flu or some other illness, please, Jesus, I ask that you would shower down your mercies, shower down your grace, shower down your healing. And Lord, for those who need spiritual healing or emotional healing, those who are in need of relationships, a healing in their relationships, I ask, Lord, that you would um, provide uh, wisdom, strength, and the consoling, um, the consoling reality of your presence. And I pray, Lord, that you'd increase that sense of expectant faith for your healing power to be at work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today on Sound Insight, I've got a lot to share. I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, well, five. <laughs> I've got a number of books all cracked open here in front of me with different quotes and things that have struck me in the, in the past, well, week or seven or eight days. Um, some of it's my journal. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where, what, I, what do I try to do on Sound Insight? I try to walk with you. Try to walk with you, and and so the things that you hear about in the course of one particular day on Sound Insight is connected to what has been happening in my life. Now, that can sound self-centered, but it is precisely intended to be the opposite. It's intended to be centered on the Lord. So when I draw upon like the events of my daily life, the things that are unfolding, sometimes they're just used as analogies for aspects of our life of faith, but often they're involving what? Some experience, some encounter, some happening that's been part of my life that I see the hand of God, or it has drawn me back to God. And it makes me stop and and realize that, oh, Lord, you're with me, and, and you're walking with me, and you're, and you're wanting to do something. You're wanting to come close to me today? You want to be at work in my life today? You want to be at work through my life today? So I uh, so it's funny having all of these different sort of books open in front of me is sort of a backlog. <laughs> it's a backlog of of events from the past week and a half, just different things that have happened. So sometimes I'll call these programs grab bags, where I'm just sort of grabbing out of the bag of happenings of the past. Well, again, it's been about a week since I've last done a program. And um, really just draw drawing out from them, uh, things things that have happened, sharing openly and honestly, uh, honestly, as you know, that it can be pretty uh, ruthlessly humbling to share the things that I feel prompted to share, um, as I do it as an encouragement to you, so that you realize you're not alone. That, that's, that, that, that is a real, there's a tactic uh, of the enemy, make you feel like you're all alone, that you're the only one who's struggling with a particular sin or a darkness in your life. No one else can be like you. And just not true. Just not true. Boy, I do want to, uh, I'll just begin with that. Why, my goodness, I have, um, I went to confession last Sunday. And um, uh, I had gone just a couple weeks before, but I had found that what I, the sin I had confessed was just like harassing me. It was oppressive. Okay, now when I say those words, um, you might draw a line to what I'm, Part, one of the things, one of the books I have written, uh, opened up here is Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. Because um, the harassing, oppressing temptations have, at least in part, a spiritual basis, which is being spiritually attacked. And, you know, it's, it's important to be able to discern that. It's important to be able to discern when you're struggling with something, when something's unfolding in your life, um, is it is it just the flesh, right? Is it just the fallen human nature that is at work, or is there something more? And the something more, well, first of all, could be the world, right? The world and the flesh. The world would be not the created world that God um, has made good, but the fallen world. And in this instance, you can just think of all the different uh, 
just you know you think of mainstream media the internet right all the all the things around us that you'll bump into just driving down the street that that assault the senses the assault the eyes and the imagination the memory and and then they cling to us and, and they wash over us and, and we feel filthy or ashamed or guilty. So there's the flesh, there's the world, but there's also the devil, not just a devil, but the realm of the demonic, right? Fallen, fallen angels that hate us and that are intent on undermining or overthrowing or damaging our relationship with the Lord and ultimately leaving, leading us into spiritual bondage where we are obsessed, right? Where we have this... Uh, there's this foothold in our lives where, having yielded to sin, we made space for the demonic to come in and begin to exercise increasing influence over our lives. And one of the spiritual remedies, one of the most powerful and important spiritual remedies, is going to confession. You see, even if you're, you're not confessing um, you know, sins, that are all mortal, right? Even if we're just talking about um, venial sins, um, going to confession is a powerful, powerful aid in um, bringing healing, spiritual healing. Um, it, it's it's washing away those handholds and footholds that the demonic can have in our lives. And so, I I encourage you. Please, please, please make a regular act of going to confession. Make a regular act of going to confession. I, I'm not sure if I, I don't have the book in front of me here, but when I um, was preparing for confession, I decided to use the examination of conscience in the Missal, in the daily Missal, uh, the, the 1962 daily Missal. So it's the one that for the traditional Latin Mass. And man, that thing, that examination of conscience brought me to a level of detail that I, I thought I was pretty rigorous in, in how I prepared myself for confession. Man, this thing made me feel like I was in the minor leagues. I was like, whoa, you know, are you, are you willfully distracted at mass? And I'm like, what? You know, it's like just, if I had the list there, I read them to you. It might get you discouraged, right? Unless you're going to go to confession. So just going to confession, um, I just found a surge of strength and a hedge of protection where, honestly, truly, the oppressive harassing temptations are gone. Uh, they've been gone now, well, for several days. Praise be to God. What a, what a beautiful gift. And so um, uh, please go to confession, plan for it. Um, make a good examination of conscience and, and go, especially if you're feeling um, just, just feeling powerless in front of um, particular sins in your life, or if you're feeling harassed or oppressed by particular temptations. And you don't have to go far to identify what those particular harassing temptations would be. One of the seven deadly sins will be at the root of it, right? Those are the capital sins, or the they're the heads out of which other sins bloom and blossom. That is a horrible way of saying Other weeds grow. Other daughters of sin happen and so um so don't be a, don't be surprised if if one of the forms of the harassing oppressive temptations that come to your life would take the form of um some expression of one of the seven deadly sins so so anyways um praise be to god what a gift uh, going to confession is and, and i'm thrilled i'm thrilled it's it it, it can be embarrassing right just going um and in having to what accuse oneself, but the gift, the gift that awaits you is the gift that I experienced was once again the healing, just the healing and the strengthening that comes from uh, from uh, accusing oneself with with authentic contrition, with real sorrow. You know, um, and and what it did when I when I realized and, and this is one of the things the priest called out to me in in confession is he identified these characteristics of the temptations and he said you know if 
those are the characteristic of those temptations you are likely experiencing spiritual warfare or spiritual attacks. And um, he said, call upon St. Michael, St. Michael the Archangel. And um, oh, so interesting. He asked, do you, do you pray a rosary every day? And, and I do. I, I may have missed one day, maybe two days because of COVID. Um, and I just was really out of it. Um, but hey, you know what? Let me just say that out there. You know, when um, being physically sick uh, in that weakened state um, made me, I think, more susceptible to, uh, to sinful temptations. Um, so just one of the things just to be awar- aware and alert, award, <laughs> aware and alert is um, the, the way that your bodily disposition is related to your spiritual condition. And that um, in that weakened physical state, um, we may not be as alert or aware of the ways in which we um, can be approached or attacked spiritually. So I have, uh, so I do pray the St. Michael prayer as part of our, uh, part of our rosary. And so um, I felt a special nearness to him, to, to St. Michael, uh, joining me in battle. So praise be to God for that. One of the things that has shown up quite a bit um, in the last week has been um, different forms of um, different forms of this insight that I gained uh, or I heard put um, in, in, in I'm paraphrasing it like this uh, last summer. Um, it was that the experience of trials, and difficulties is a greater blessing than not experiencing trials and difficulties. Experiencing trials and difficulties is a greater blessing than not experiencing trials and blessings. I'm sorry, trials and difficulties. We hear that and we say, I, I think I get it, but on the other hand, uh, I still want to sign up for the life that doesn't have trials and difficulties. You know, when, you, when you hear that, first of all, you say trials and difficulties. Well, people who have trials and difficulties, obviously, there, there's a part of us that I think that secretly says, and maybe even overtly says, well, if they're experiencing these trials and difficulties, it's their own fault. You know, they... They're the ones who somehow deserve what they're getting. And, and whether that deserving is, well, they're not as spiritual as I am. And so being as spiritual as I am, the Lord has, you know, has deigned to bless my holy life with a degree of protection and consolation. And so I don't face such trials and difficulties. <laughs> or maybe it's just more at a, a purely human level where, um, maybe we are people who focus quite a bit on fairness and justice, and I work hard, I'm dutiful, I'm responsible, I'm accountable, and I have good things happen to me. And those people around me that are not as dutiful, dutiful, responsible, or accountable, they're the ones whose lives tend to break down, and you know what? They're just getting what they deserve. And so um, I think that, that that's a—let's call that just a, a, a natural— attitude, an attitude that just comes from like certain situations that are in the world. Um, But we're talking about the spiritual life. We're talking about discovering and going deeper into our identity as children of God and being formed to fulfill our mission that we have here on earth. Okay, so I'm going to always come back to that. Your call is to become a saint who fulfills the God-given mission that is yours. Once again, your call is to discover that your deepest identity is found in your relationship with God. And as you grow in that union, as you grow in that relationship and your union with the Lord increases, then the more that you will become a saint, the more that your life will radiate the very holiness of God. And flowing from that intimate, profound, life-giving union, that personal union with the Lord, will be a dynamic thrust outward into the world where your driving purpose, your passion in life, 
will be to fulfill the mission that God has put you here to proclaim, to fulfill. That life, if you are going to fulfill that life, you know what? Experiencing trials and difficulties is a greater blessing in that life than a life that doesn't have trials and difficulties. Why? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. Well, today I'm, I'm reflecting, at least doing a grab bag of, of insights, just drawing from stories from the last week. And one of them is, is definitely connected to the theme that experiencing trials and difficulties is a greater blessing than not experiencing trials and difficulties. Experiencing trials and difficulties is a greater blessing than not experiencing trials and difficulties, even though we'd rather have the second. Um, and so why? Well, just before the break, I was mentioning that it's through trials and difficulties that we are going to be purified and formed in that deepest identity and our driving or passionate purpose, that becoming a saint, fulfilling your God-given mission. That's why you're here. That's why you are here. That's why you're here on earth. And what that means and what that calls forth from us is not going to be the same at every moment. It's, it's not. There are going to be different calls that emerge in different moments of time. And, and we are definitely experiencing that right now. We've been experiencing it over the last few years. I know that Carrie and I experienced it, and you've heard us as we tell that story. But more and more of you, dear sweet listeners, are experiencing levels and types of trials and difficulties that you just never had before. And, and, and they're enduring. The, the intensity the extent of these trials and difficulties is is intense. And you know what? It sounds a lot like a spiritual attack. It sounds a lot like a spiritual attack, but the Lord permits calamities. He permits trials. He permits sufferings because he has the capacity of turning them into something even greater. He has the capacity to bring an even greater good out of them. And so um, one of the books I, I'm, I'm reading right now is Lord of the Rings. I'm on the Fellowship of the Ring. I read the book every few years. It used to be more often than that because of the way it focuses on that you were created intentionally. There was a, there was a, God, the creator had you in mind specifically to be born when you were, where you were, to have the call that you have and to be the person you are and to fulfill that mission. And I love the Lord of the Rings because of the way in which mission and being created for a mission and making that your, your driving purpose in life is so powerful. You know, the great characters in the Lord of the Rings, especially this fellowship of the ring, the fellowship of these nine travelers, they have this fellowship around this purpose, around this mission. And, you know, at the heart of it all, at the center of it all is this Frodo the Hobbit. And at the beginning of the book, Frodo the Hobbit receives, bequeaths, uh, he receives this gift from um, Bilbo Baggins, who um, was his uh, relative, and takes him in and um, makes him his heir and leaves him this ring, this ring of power. And uh, their their dear companion, this wizard Gandalf, comes and, and lets Frodo know that this ring that has come into his possession um, is... Um, now uh, it is now in a moment where the the dark lord Sauron the Great is emerging again, and um, and this is the time in which Frodo is alive, and Frodo 
response to Gandalf. Gandalf says, and always after a defeat and a respite, the shadow, the shadow, the dark Lord takes another shape and grows again. And Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. And so I I find that very relevant. I find that very relevant um, because, um, you know, you and I didn't choose to be born in this time. I, I, you know, I'm 57 and I I looked at the time in which I lived to be blessed in in maybe the the greatest way that anyone in history um, as a people, like just say at at a, you know, large scale level has gotten to live, right? So we, I was born at a time that, the First and Second World Wars had passed, the Korean War, Vietnam War was over before it was really in my awareness. And so I, you know, came of age after the Vietnam War, and there was this time of peace, right? Even though there was this uh, Cold War, there was a time of real peace and prosperity in America, right? And And then by the time the Gulf War started, I was beyond the age of being called to war. And so I sort of missed all of that. So the harshness and the difficulties of things like world wars and depressions um, and uh, the revolutionary times of of the the 60s, I I missed all of that. And I was preserved from all of that, like lack of stability. And so now, now I find myself in the mature time in my life, the time where I still have some energy and have mature capabilities. And, um, and now I'm thrust into this place where the world is getting weird. And you look at what's been happening in the last two years now, we can almost say two full years since the unfolding of COVID. And it's like the degree of shaking stripping oh let's just use the word trials and difficulties that have happened to our lives you know are are you ready yet to call those blessings are you ready to call those blessings then having not experienced these things and i don't know i i you know to be honest i i think I'm, i'm i'm yes and no on it there, yes, for sure, I can see tremendous blessings that have come from the trials and difficulties of the past almost two years, stripping away things that would not have been stripped away from the way that Carrie and I lived our lives had it not been for COVID. Boy, I have to tell you this. I mean, when it talks about the degree of intentionality that Catholics are facing, it the game game is on, game is on, um, because it has become so much clearer. If it wasn't clear before, it is so much clearer now. That if you are really not all in with regards to living your faith, fighting for your Catholic faith, uh, fighting to be faithful to your Catholic faith, um, fighting to for the Catholic faith of your kids. Your kids will lose their faith. And so that's the world we're living in. The world we're living in, just to, to have your eyes wide open, is that the degree of attacks that are coming against your kid, kids, especially if the kids are tweens and teens and young adults, the, the, the pervasive, intimidating, intensive uh, attacks that are coming against your kid's faith, coming against your kid's authentic humanity, is so enormous, and the weakness of the Catholic Church as a whole, institutionally um, standing up, providing, protecting, and leading our young people in faith is so weak and diminished that 
the expectation should be that your kids are going to lose their faith. That's, that's just what's statistically happened. Statistically, it is just bleeding out kids, bleeding out young people, just losing their faith. For kids today to not lose their faith requires a degree of focused effort and attention on the part of the kids, their friends, the primary places where they're living and, and schooling and, and, uh, and hanging around with, and the families that, that your families are hanging around with, and, and the places where they worship. Uh, the typical Catholic school will be a place where your kid will lose their faith and potentially be completely twisted out of authentic humanity. How sick is that? How sad is that? That, that there'll be more kids who come into the Catholic high school practicing their faith than there will be going out of high school practicing their faith. That is, that is just a, it's a terrible scourge. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And it, um, I, I'm not blaming like the schools all by themselves, but they're just so poorly equipped to tackle the immensity of the world and the flesh and the devil and the way that it is coming at our kids' lives, coming at our kids' lives in the most powerful sources of media, through the internet, through laws and policies, especially in the state of Washington, that are designed to undermine and overthrow Catholic faith. It just is. So you didn't sign up for this, but the Lord signed you up for this. You didn't choose to be born in this moment, and you now find yourself as a parent of a tween or a teen, or grandparents, right, of your grandkids growing up. Um, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, you were given a gift. Frodo was given the ring, and with that ring came a mission, that it was a stewardship, it was an entrustment. And Frodo, in The, the Lord of the Rings, he asks Gandalf, that the only way to, how do I get rid of the ring? And the only way to do it is to go to Orid Ruin, the fire mountain, and cast the ring in there. If you really wish to destroy it, to put it beyond the grasp of the enemy forever. And then Frodo responds, I do really wish to destroy it, or well, to have it destroyed. I am not made for perilous quests. I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? Such questions cannot be answered, said Gandalf. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, not for power or wisdom at any rate, but you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. And so, there it is. I take that to heart. I take that to heart. It's like, um, you know, growing up and then um, discerning first the priesthood and then leaving and then feeling a call to ministry and uh, a call to marriage and then meeting Carrie. Little did I imagine. I, again, I've said this to you in, in the past, you know, um, being alive in, in ministry uh, at the end of the late 80s and into the 90s. It was a time of, it was pretty exciting. I mean, as, as challenging as it was, it was a time where the surge of the work of evangelization and apologetics was was around and a time of lots of conferences and uh, the charismatic renewal was flourishing and there were a lot of movements and lots of conferences. I keep saying that, but diocesan conferences, religious ed, Marian conferences, men's movements, um, all evangelization conferences all kinds of things happening that were just incredible signs of renewal. And I was just like, wow, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're right on the cusp of this new springtime and we're headed to this great Jubilee year 2000. And it's like, I, it's, we're just going to rocket ship off and we're going to have that glorious day, uh, that glorious harvest that St. John Paul II prophesied. And here we are about 30 years later, and it is a demographic nightmare. It's a demographic winter. 
in the life of the Catholic faith. In the past 30 years, we've lost so many Catholics to the, to the practice of their faith. We've lost so many Catholics to uh, believing, those who, who identify as Catholic, actually believing what the church teaches. And again, if you bring your kids into a typical parish, it's more likely than not that your kids will be bored, distracted, and will end up with diminished faith rather than a fervor, a fire, uh, a sense of vigor to want to take up the call and become a saint and fulfill their God-given mission. That's just the sad reality. And so trials and difficulties right now, can you see how there'd be a great blessing? Because it begins to make us stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the end of the day, what what's all of this about? Why am I here? What am I doing here? What's my call in life? Is it really about things that are that visible and measurable? Is it really about those things that are, um, you know, like measured in the form of, of wealth and fame and power and prestige and, and uh, popularity and, and, and influence and all these things? Or is it about holiness? Is it about loving the Lord? Is it about uh, proclaiming Jesus Christ to a, a lost world? That's what I think it is. More on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. You know, that idea that um, experiencing trials and difficulties are a greater blessing than not experiencing them. Um, I saw uh, uh, an interview with Tim Tebow. It might have been a couple of years old. And so if you remember, Tim Tebow was a, um, a football player, a quarterback, who was very overt in his Christian faith. And... He, uh, his team won an NCAA championship. He won the Heisman Trophy. Um, he was a, uh, a starting quarterback for um, an NFL team. In fact, he um, was put in to be the quarterback, I believe it was Denver. It's maybe about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And uh, he led them on a run of wins where they won like seven games in a row to make it to the playoffs. And in their first playoff game, there was this like really dramatic game-winning pass that he made against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, they were interviewing him on the anniversary of that event. And he referenced all of those like big deal achievements that were part of his life. And he said... I learned more and benefited more from my failures than from my successes. I learned more and benefited more from my failures than from my successes. And that is, I got to tell you, it's, it's, that is such a truth. When I think about Carrie and me and our relationship And the way that we have um, stepped forward in our lives, how we've been able to um, move forward, is when we have had a setback. When things got so hard that we were driven to our knees and we had to cry out to God that the trials and difficulties we were facing were so intense and brought us such anguish that we were driven to our knees and we had to turn to the Lord. We didn't have to, but we turned to the Lord. And the anguish that was in our hearts, uh, the anxiety, the stress, the feeling of being overwhelmed and, and, and powerless to do something about it, it was that, that is a furnace. That is so purifying. It's such a purifying furnace. And it, it really does help like clear the perspective. Like what's important? What's really important? Like just in the in the past week, I've had several conversations with families um, about moving here. And again, you don't even have to say it's about moving here. It, it's the idea that moving here was part of their discernment 
about solving an anguishing situation or an anguishing reality that was unfolding in their lives. And in two of the situations, it was around their kids, high school, and about to enter high school. And in one of the situations, it was grandparents caring for their, wanting to help provide for their kids who were now married and having little kids. And the common thread among all of them was, was this suffering, was this trial, was this difficulty, difficulties that, boy, difficulty can sound kind of soft compared to the anguish. I, the anguish is, is much more apt uh, of a word to describe the suffering that said, what's happening in my kid's life, it's killing me. Didn't want it, didn't intend it. Why is this happening? This is not, in fact, and this has to do with kids that were going to Catholic high schools. Catholic high schools. Oh, you know, Catholic high schools like Kennedy and Bellarmine, Kennedy and Bellarmine that were supposed to be promoting and fostering and deepening their Catholic faith and in which their kids were being slaughtered, especially around sexual identity, um, pressures around transgender ideology, horrible stuff, horrible stuff in these Catholic schools where wouldn't you want, wouldn't you imagine, wouldn't you hope there would be a clean, clear, strong presentation that God made us male and female. And in making us male and female, we're to celebrate and affirm. We're to acknowledge and come to realize our own deepest sexual identity as God intended, as God revealed. And if the forces of this world are confusing you at a time when your own sense of self as a sexual being is emerging and there's confusion in your own sense of feelings and you're struggling to figure out how to belong and where to belong and you have these powerful platforms on the internet pouring forth filth that is so seductive and confusing that all of a sudden that it's going to give you an alternative way to feel like you can belong and it's going to interpret those confusing feelings in a way that is unhealthy, that is dark. That's a, it's a spiritually oppressive and harassing thing happening. And where's our church stepping in to speak a loud, clean, clear voice? We love you. You are a gift. And the fact that you've been gifted as a gendered being, male and female, will promote, protect, and defend that truth because that truth is good and beautiful and it'll help you come alive. Is that too much to ask for? Is that too much to expect? And so trials and difficulties, there's a lot at stake in some of these. And the more there is at stake, the more we have to take action in accord with that. If there's just a little bit at stake in your life, a little bit at stake in a decision, then you got lots of options. You know, no big deal. Things don't go the way you wanted. But when there's a lot at stake, oh my goodness, when there's a lot at stake, in this instance, the trajectory of your high schooler's life, then what, what are you not willing to do? What are you not willing to give? I, one of Carrie and my children struggled with a birth defect that led to surgeries, specialized treatments, and the need to see specialized, to seek and to uh, attain specialized care in multiple children's hospitals around the country. And that meant um, advocating for and getting access to these programs. That meant flying and being away from home. It meant getting specialized medical interventions. Um, did Carrie or I flinch at the extraordinary attention, effort, and care it took to foster the internal physical health of one of our children? Not even a second thought. The answer is, of course. Of course you'd do that. 
It, 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 why, why is that even a thought? Of course, you, your children has an internal issue physically that is preventing them from flourishing as a human being. Why would you hesitate? Of course you take that action. Okay? What about spiritually? What about relationally? What about in terms of their own sense of identity? What are you willing to do to preserve and protect, to nurture an authentic Catholic Christian identity in your kids? So much is at stake. And if you're not willing to take action commensurate with what's at stake, then there's a failure of stewardship. Frodo, cast away the ring. Give it to someone else. Avoid the mission. Avoid the mission if, if it's too much. Just close your eyes and just pretend or hope it's going to get better. Or realize that if you don't take action, you'll be permitting the slaughter of the innocents, that which is your tween or teen or young adult. And so discern carefully what's happening in your neighborhoods, in your communities, in your parishes, in your schools, yes, even your Catholic schools. Pay attention to what's happening and not happening. Because if there isn't a clean, clear proclamation of the truth of the gospel of the church's teaching on sex and sexuality, and an immense effort to battle against the internet as a great source of vile filth entering the lives of your kids, if those two things aren't radically obvious in your schools, then know this, it's happening to those kids. The confusion, the twisting, it's happening to those kids, your kids, your friends' kids. And so we have to speak up and we've got to do something about it. And we have to fall on our knees and crowd to God to discover the strength to take action. That's extraordinary because what's at stake is our kids and their own peaceful development as beautiful, sweet children of God, sweet children of God. And so take action commensurate with what's at stake. When we come back, I have a beautiful Psalm, Psalm 37. It's from the Office of Readings from yesterday that I want to read to you in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. I'm back, I guess, huh? <laughs> Talking about these challenges. Things haven't changed that much. Um, I, tomorrow on Sound Insight, I'm going to dig further into um, a virtue and a vice in the Summa Theologica of Sound Insight, of Sound Insight, <laughs> of Thomas Aquinas, the Summa Theologica of Thomas Aquinas. Um, the virtue is magnanimity, and it's about doing something magnificent for God, and as a parent, you're doing something magnificent for God. And the the vice is effeminacy. Effeminacy. How's that? that it sounds interesting, huh? It has to do with softness and how... Um, it's one of the things that undermines perseverance. How striking is that? Well, tomorrow I'm going to dig into that. It, it also showed up in The Ascent of Mount Carmel. I know I said I was going to read um, and walk with you through insights I've been gaining from The Ascent of Mount Carmel. Well, that actually is front and center why this theme of trials and difficulties are a greater blessing than not experiencing trials and difficulties because The Ascent of Carmel makes it super clear, super clear, embarrassingly clear that when there is a life of a disciple that is marked by consoling graces and um, principally experiences of um, refreshment and abundance, that that soul is such a beginner that the Lord is having a hard time drawing them deeper. But the, the one whom the Lord loves and starts to draw deeper gets drawn into these situations, these experiences that are, guess what? Trials that purify, difficulties that cleanse, that stretch, suffering that begins to uh, strip away attachments, um, darkness that leads to a purification from the attachments to the, the, the flesh, to the senses that we... Uh, want to find so comforting and, and soft. There's that effeminacy again. And so um, St. John of the Cross is bringing me front and center back around to the reality of experiencing trials and difficulties as 
just a sign of how much the Lord loves me. He loves me so much that he wants to take me deeper. And he will take me deeper through the purifying fire of trials that are even anguishing to situations that are overwhelming, that drive me into the position of powerlessness. Well, this brings me to the psalm. Uh, uh, Psalm 37 made up all three of the psalms that are the three psalm segments of the Office of Readings from Tuesday. And I'm only going to read the antiphon, the three antiphons. The antiphons are like the introductory line that is said at the beginning and the end of, of these three segments. Typically, there are three different psalms, but in this instance, it's one psalm broken up into the three pieces, the three parts of the Office of Readings. Um, and, and you'll get it when you, when you hear what these three beautiful antiphons are. And the funny thing is, when I first read it, uh, when I was praying the Office of Readings in the morning, I read it, and I started in, and all of a sudden I had to stop. I kind of shook my head, what, 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 wait a minute, whoa. And I went back and I read it again, and I'm like, how did I miss that? And I started to think about all of these priests and religious around the world that are praying this right now. And I'm like, how many of them just are like sort of unconsciously just reading the sentence and moving on? And it's like, okay, if you read that, if you really, really, really like let that word take flesh, let that word take flesh in your life, you'd be living a certain way. You would be living a certain way. Um, so here's the first antiphon. I'll tell you, and you'll see what I mean. The first antiphon is, surrender to God, and he will do everything for you. Surrender to God, and he will do everything for you. And I read it, moved on, and then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. The word surrender jumped out at me. And then the result, the fruit, the the gift that surrendering to God brings is that he'll do everything. Not, not he will take action. Not he will hear your cry. No, he will do everything for you. And I'm like, oh, that is such a powerful way of stating the truth of faith. When I say truth of faith, I don't just mean the truth that we believe as Catholics, but the truth about the nature of faith as an act of entrustment to surrender, to entrust oneself freely, completely, forever, fully putting oneself into the hands of the Lord. When you surrender, when you give up by giving over, when you say, Lord, it is all yours, I am all yours, please take all of this, I got nothing left. The Lord will do everything. It makes room for the Lord he will do everything for you. And then it titles the, the, that Psalm 37, The Lot of the Wicked and the Good is the title, and then it quotes a scripture. This is the typical format for the Liturgy of the Hours. So you have the antiphon, which you pause and ponder, and then it gives you a scripture verse to think about before then you read the psalm. And it's, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? You know that. One of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that, again, made me just stop. For I remember learning about the virtue of meekness in the Middle Ages. The virtue of meekness, it, it sounds an awful lot like weakness, sort of like milk toast, like mamby-pamby, like soft. That is not meek. That is not meek in the Middle Ages. The virtue of meekness was the virtue of radical docility, radical availability, the readiness to be moved, the ability to be movable, the receptivity to the prompting and the leading of the Spirit. Those great ways of talking about that fundamental attitude, that's what meekness is. The meek person is the one who's radically available, receptive, available. Lord, lead me and I'll follow. Lord, lead me and wherever you have me go, I'll go. I say yes in advance to whatever you want to do to me. I'm ready. That's meekness. And what happens to the meek? See, the meek aren't the ones who 
determine their own course and then ask God to bless it. They don't make the decision and then come back and say, Lord, I hope this works out with you. Um, No, 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 no. The first fundamental attitude of a Christian leader, of a leader in faith, is not that they lead. It's that they're willing to be led. It's that the Holy Spirit leads, and they're willing to be drawn after. And that means they'll be led where they would not go. Like Peter, when you're young, you went about what you did as you would. But when you're older, they'll bind you by the hands and they'll lead you where you would not go. That's a Christian leader. That's meekness. The Lord is going to lead us where we would not go, right into the midst of the purifying fire, right into the midst of the trials and difficulties, right into the midst of what is not soft, but what is difficult, what is hard, not easy. And when you're available, when I'm available, it means we're surrendered. I'm not going to exercise my will. I'm going to be surrendered to your will, O Lord. And what happens to that person? They'll inherit the earth. What's going to come into their possession? Everything. Everything is theirs. But how do they get it? It's not blessed are the meek, for they shall conquer the earth. Right? Blessed are the powerful, they shall conquer the earth. Blessed are those who are determined and refuse to give up, who hustle. Right? They will um, make an abundance theirs. No, blessed are the meek. You're going to be led into an inheritance. Ooh, an inheritance isn't something that you earned or deserved. It wasn't something that you figured out, you accomplished. No, an inheritance is yours simply as a result of birth. You were born into it. it. It it came from your father. It came from your family. It was inherited. The Lord has an inheritance in store for you. An inheritance. And how do you access it? Well, listen to this beginning of this psalm. You know, not even the title, just the title of the antiphon. Surrender. Surrender to God. And he'll do it. He'll take action. And, and as he leads, as he takes action, he's going to be prompting you to follow. So be available. So surrender. Put everything into his hands, including yourself. And then, Lord, as you prompt me, Lord, as you nudge me, Lord, as you call me, I'm available. I'm ready. Lord, let's go. I stand alert and ready. That's meekness. And you'll inherit the earth, everything. So much about our lives is learning to get to those two attitudes quickly and living from them. The radical faith that surrenders and entrusts all that we are and have into God's hands and the radical availability, the radical docility that says, Lord, Lead me, and I'll follow wherever you'd have me go. Guess what? That's identity and purpose. That's vision and mission. That's a saint living out God-given mission in life. In two words, surrender and be meek. God bless your day.